Welcome back to the MicroConf podcast. This week is a MicroConf refresh episode, and we look back at a Q&A, or actually an AMA, an Ask Me Anything, with Jason Freed. He's the co-founder of Hey and Basecamp. It's an AMA we did back at MicroConf Remote in 2020. There's something to be said about bootstrapping your business to millions in revenue to stick by it and still hold the keys over two decades after launch, and that's the story of Basecamp. And with our special guest, Jason Freed, we hosted an open Ask Me Anything about what it took to grow Basecamp to the degree of success it experiences today and how the small bootstrap team was able to develop a competitor to the likes of Gmail and Yahoo Mail and their very public spat with the Apple App Store in mid-2020. I hope you enjoy this. So our, our next guest um, is the co-founder of Hey, Hey.com. And so um, Hey is a... a headline sponsor, headline partner of MicroConf and Startups for the Rest of Us um, in 2020. And they've been a great supporter of ours uh, for the past several years. And, you know, our next guest, Jason Free, joined me on stage last year at MicroConf Growth. We had a really good uh, Q&A session and conversation where he answered questions about the early days of Basecamp. He took questions from the audience and was just very gracious um, with his time. And, and we really appreciated it. And, uh, you know, Hey has launched this year. This is the new product coming out of Basecamp. Um, and Hey has been, as I said, you know, uh, a sponsor. And they've come alongside to, to try to help this bootstrapped indie-funded community and, and help us be able to provide events like this to you. Because these types of events, we'd have to charge a lot more for them if we didn't have sponsors like Hey. Um, so I'd love it if you'd give a shout out to Hey on Twitter and just thank them for supporting this bootstrapped community. And with that, I'd love to welcome Jason Freed, the co-founder of Basecamp, to the show. Um, you know, obviously, he's one of the original badass bootstrappers that has consistently provided guidance and good advice to founders for going on two decades now. Several books written with his co-founder, DHH, and obviously an outlier that's, you know, taken a stair-step approach to the very top, started building new steps to take their companies to new heights. It's like he, he added many zeros to the, to the formula that I think most of us uh, ascribe to. So this is an AMA, an Ask Him Anything. Jason's here to answer all your questions about what it was like to build Hay, how the successes of Basecamp served as a basis for the launch of Hay, and really anything you'd like to ask him about that. I also have a, a few questions um, to, to kick us off, but you can just use the question button in Shindig, and it's, it's down below you, and we'll try to get to as many of them as possible. My guess is, based on how these things normally go with Jason, there will be more questions that we can possibly answer, but we have about, um, well, just under 30 minutes now to roll in. So, Jason, sir, thank you so much for sharing the stage with me again. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome to see you again. Are you, uh, are you in Chicago or California? I'm currently in California, California. Yeah, okay. but, but primarily living in, in Chicago. Based in Chicago, yeah. It's nice and sunny outside there, so I was thinking you might be on, on a coast there somewhere. So for, for folks who don't know, so anyone can email me robwalling at hey.com if you want to uh, hit my hey inbox. Um, but hey is an email service that doesn't, you know, so I want to I set the stage, right? There's Gmail and then Superhuman launched a few years ago and Superhuman is built on top of Gmail. So you need a Gmail or Google Apps account to use it. Hey is not that. Hey is, is next to Gmail. Like you have bare bones servers, SMTP, Top three, all that stuff, right? It's a, it, you have you have the entire infrastructure in place. Yeah, hey, hey is an email service. So just like when you sign up for Gmail, you get a gmail.com address. If you sign up for hey, you get a hey.com, H-E-Y.com. So we are a provider. You don't need to use Google. You don't need to use Outlook. You don't need to use Apple iCloud. You don't need to use any other email provider. 
And um, the reason we did that is because we wanted to innovate. We wanted to make new something new. And if you're riding on top of someone else's platform, like most email clients sit on top of Gmail or whatever SMTP provider, you, you, there's not a lot you can really do because you're beholden to how they do things. So if you want to do something new, you've got to start from the ground up. Um, you've got to be vertically integrated in that way. And uh, that's where you can really make some changes. And, you know, so obviously, I mean, Basecamp is, is an amazing success story, but, you know, compare, let's compare your revenue to Google, Microsoft, Apple, these other companies you're competing with. It, it's, there's, there's a lot of zeros difference there. So why, why did you <laughs> a think lot. That, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, I guess, you know, what is in your DNA, you know, the DNA of Basecamp that, that convinced you guys that, hey, we can take on these, these bigger players. Well, for one, I mean, yeah, technically we were taking them on because a lot of our customers have switched over um, from, from Gmail, for, primarily from Gmail over to Hey. So technically, yes, we're competing, but not really. And, and what I mean by that is I think Gmail has 1.5 billion email accounts on, on Gmail. We're not going to have that. <laughs> we're not looking for that. We're not even in that realm, and we don't want to be. You know, um, we're a paid service, so we're not giving email away for free. And just like with Basecamp, you know, we have, if we get 100,000 paid customers, we're in a pretty good position. So that's kind of what we're looking for. We're looking for people who really care about email, who are frustrated to no end with it, looking for something new, looking for something that's private, looking for something that's not going to mine your data, and looking at it, something that has built-in workflows and not workarounds. And so if we get 100,000, 200,000 of those kinds of people, we're, we're in a good place. So we don't need to match Google or Outlook or, or, or Yahoo. Different game, although we're playing the same by the, some of the same rules and that we're a service provider like they are, but, but our, our approach is very different. So, yeah, I mean, it's the stupidest thing we've ever done, and I mean that in the most you know, appealing way. Um, but we're also not really trying to – like for us, we're not going to look and go like we didn't, we didn't get – you know, we didn't beat Gmail, so we lost. Like, that's just not how we look at things in general. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Here's the other thing I want to say about this is that companies have their own economics. And this is something you don't hear enough about, in my opinion, which is that people are like, well, how do you compete with them? And how do you compete with them? And well, one of the first questions I would ask is like, what are your costs? Because if your costs are a lot less than everyone else's costs, then you can afford to compete in a different level. Like, if we had to get a billion signups to make this thing viable for us, well, then we're probably not going to beat Gmail. But we don't need that. We need tens of thousands or 100,000 or a couple hundred thousand, like over a number of years, because our cost structure is, is set up completely differently. We don't need that much to cover our costs compared to what Google does, of course, when they have you know, tens of thousands of employees. So you got to start with that. And then, then you can sort of figure out what makes sense for you. It doesn't, you don't have to do what someone else does you got to do what works for you, and that's really an important thing, I think, for entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. Thanks for calling that out. You mentioned a couple differentiators. You know, you said we're, you're very privacy-focused, uh, workflows, not workarounds. Um, do you want to dive into those two, and maybe if there are any others that are, you know, common talking points about how you are different, why you're different than these other providers? Yeah, for sure. Let's start with privacy. Um, one of the big problems with email, and I'm going to hit it from a couple different angles, but one of the big problems with email, of course, is that you're not in control of who can contact you. It used to be that you'd give out your email address to someone and only that person would have it. And you'd, that was how you kept control over who, who can get in touch with you. But these days, your email address has been bought and sold and traded and posted online. It's, it's everywhere. So we've stopped being in control of who can get in touch with us, which is a problem. 
If someone calls your cell phone and you don't recognize the number, you just don't pick it up. It's very, there's very little effort just to go, eh, no. With email, anyone who emails you basically lands in your inbox. This is a problem. It's a fundamental problem with email today. So with hey, you get to decide who can email you. The first time somebody emails you, you give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if they're a thumbs down, you'll never hear from them again. So that's one version of privacy, which is that you are in control of who can get in touch with you. You're in control of who can communicate with you. The other side, of course, is that we, um, we don't sell ads, so we're not mining your data. We're not looking at your data. We're not pulling anything out of your data. Not interesting to us. Don't want to do that ever. And also, we, um, we block trackers. So what a lot of people don't know is these days, by simply opening an email with no indication this is the case, if you just open an email, the sender, the person who sent it to you, can receive all sorts of personal information about you. How long you read the email, if you opened it, how often you opened it, what kind of phone you have, what brand computer you have, what time it was, your IP address, which they can give, you know, basically get you down to some local information that way as well. We block all that. So if someone tries to include a tracker in an email and you're a hey.com customer, they will not know anything about you. So we're protecting your privacy on that side too. So one, number one is control. Number two is on the back end. We're making sure that nobody learns anything about you, about your behavior. No one tracks you simply by opening an email. Now, that's some of the privacy stuff. There's a bunch of other things as well. But the, the bigger thing, though, to me is, is the workflow situation. What's amazing to me about email is that email has not evolved for about 16 years. 16 years ago, Gmail came out, and it felt different. It had new ideas in it. The thing is, is that we're still stuck doing the same things we've always done, and no one's really come up with better workflows. For example, simple one. Someone sends you an email, and you need to get back to someone later. Comment. This happens all the time. It's like, yeah, I got to get back to that person later. So what do you do? You hack. You hack it. You like mark it on red again. Maybe you star it or flag it. Maybe you, maybe you make a folder or a label and put some stuff in there. Maybe you snooze it. None of those things have anything to do with the mental understanding that I need to get back to someone later. So you're hacking around with workarounds to try to remember that you need to do something later. And you're using all these different things that aren't quite right. So with hey, which have a button on every email that says reply later. And when you say reply later, it goes into a nice pile along with all the other emails that you said reply later to. Then you can go into a mode called focus and reply. You click that. It opens up all those emails. It stacks them one on top of the other and lets you simply reply to those one after another without being interrupted or distracted by anything else that's happening. And it's an entirely different way to work on email. And it saves you, it saves me hours a week, which is significant. Um, and it saves me a lot of hassle and it allows me to say, okay, I've got like 30 minutes now. I'm going to knock out all my emails at the end of the day. I know exactly where they are. Nothing else is going to get in my way. So we've got a dozen or so of those kinds of workflows built into Hay versus workarounds where you're trying to make one thing do something else. So we thought about all that stuff and we were so frustrated by the fact that like email just hasn't changed in so long. It's time to do something new. And that's what Hay's all about. Awesome. Yeah. We, have a, we have questions pouring in from the listeners, as you would expect. Um, I want to jump down to one producer, Xander, from Brian Yido, because it ties into something I was going to ask you about. Anyways, Jason, his question is, how is Hayes' pushback on Apple's App Store terms of service going? And if you wouldn't mind just giving a, you know, a couple sentences or, or a one-minute description of what happened there with Apple uh, to catch people up and then talk about, you know, has there been a resolution and what that's been? Yeah, of course. Um, so when we launched Hey, we put 1.0, version 1.0 in the App Store, Apple App Store and Android Store. Both were approved. 
which was wonderful. And then we, re we put a, a 1.0.2 bug release version or update into the App Store and the Apple App Store a few days later, and Apple rejected it. And they rejected it, even though it was nothing materially changed, they rejected it on the grounds that we weren't giving them 30% of our revenue because we were selling a subscription service. And somehow that slipped by the reviewers in the first place is what, what Apple claimed. Um, and so we got in this battle with Apple, basically. Apple said, you have to give us 30% of your revenues. And we said, we're not giving you 30% of our revenues. Um, and they gave us some other things. And this basically kind of blew up in the press. We went to the press over it because it was a strong arm tactic by Apple to extract 30% of our business, which they are not entitled to. Um, the problem is, is that on iOS, of course, everybody knows you don't have choice. So we can't sell, we can't even mention that we can sell our product some other way. We can't mention billing. We can't mention credit cards. We can't mention sign up. Can't mention all these things. And we didn't mention any of those things. Long story short is um, we got into a big public uh, battle with Apple over this. Um, it was all over the press for about a week. And um, we, we didn't give in on terms of the 30%. We're not paying them 30%. But what we did eventually come to terms with, with them over was um, we introduced a slightly, well, a free version uh, of Hey that's available on iOS, which is a slightly different version from our main product. And if you still want to buy Hey, the full version, you still go to Hey.com and you buy it there. But at least when you load the app up, there's something that you can sign up for that doesn't require visiting our website. So it turned out that Apple was comfortable with that. We're still not giving them 30% of our revenue, um, but they were comfortable with at least the app doing something on, on launch. Um, but the, the, the bigger thing here is not, there's a few things going on. So there's the 30%, which of course I think is just, you know, uh, usury. It's, 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 it's unfair. It's too, it's too much, first of all. But it's deeper than that, and this is, I think, will resonate with, with people who are, who are watching this, who are entrepreneurs, which is that I do not believe that a company, any company, should be able to tell me how I can service and treat my customers. One of the big unknown things about the App Store is that when, if you use the in-app payment system that Apple requires you to use if you sell products through Apple, is that you cannot provide your customers a certain level of customer service. If you have a billing issue, you have to defer them to Apple. If you want to give them a discount, you can't. If you want to give them half off, you can't. If you want to give them a hardship discount, you can't. For example, when COVID first hit, a lot of our customers on Basecamp wrote us saying, hey, we're small businesses. This is really going to get, take a big hit. This is really hard for us. We said, we'll give you a couple months free. Don't worry about it. Like, we'll help you out. We're here to help you. You can't do that once you've given your customer to Apple because you're not in control of the billing system. So now I have two tiers of customers. I have the customers I can really help the way I want to help them. And I have the customers, I have to say, well, you got to go talk to Apple. And by the way, Apple's not going to be able to help you because that's not what the business Apple's in. It's not Apple's right to be able to do that to me. They're a $1 trillion company. Why should they tell me how I can provide service to my customers? It's completely abhorrent to me, and I'm not going to give into that. So that was another big, big angle that we pushed all this forward and out there, and a lot of people started to pay attention and saw that people came out of the, the woodwork saying, Apple's been doing this to us for years. Apple's been pushing us and bullying us for years. And I think it created a groundswell of, 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 um, uh, of interest and excitement. And then, um, you know, Apple changed the rules at, at WWC the, the following week, um, hopefully influenced a little bit by what we did. And hopefully over time, they'll, they'll change them more and more and more and give developers choice. Uh, I can go into more detail, but I don't want to take over all, all the time. But that's kind of how that happened. Yeah, bravo. Yeah, thank yeah. you, sir. Good explanation. Um, Completely another direction. We have a question from Wang Van, and he says, is Hey using Ruby on the back end? Oh, yes. All of our products are built on, on Rails. Um, so, yep. Hey, Basecamp, 
high rise, campfire, backpack, everything from this point back forward or forward or backwards and forwards is, is built on Rails. There's other technologies we're using as well, but Rails Rails is the is the predominant uh, language behind everything. Yep. Or framework. Cool. Yeah. Um. Ah, I'm trying to figure out if I understand this question. It's from Adrian Fletcher. And it says, what features were Basecamp slash Hey employees really upset to ignore or miss out on in order to launch the service? So I think what he's asking is, what did you leave out of Hey that maybe <laughs> team members really wanted to be in there, but you, you just didn't? Oh my didn't God, so, so many things. I, here's the thing about a 1.0, version 1.0 of anything, is not all your ideas. It's not the best version. It's not everything you've ever wanted to do. It's simply what made the cut. And there are so many things that didn't make the cut that we'll add in subsequent releases. We've already added some. We'll be adding more and more down the road. We're currently working on Hay for Work, which will allow companies to use Hay and all the employees to use Hay together um, and, and host your, your company's email on that. So we're working on that right now. Um, there are so many things. Um, one of the features that didn't make it that I really liked was simply a feature called waiting on. Sometimes you send an email to somebody and you're waiting on a reply from them. And so we had this feature, we built the feature early on where you'd, you'd mark something waiting on and it would put it into a separate pile so you can keep track of the things that you really know you need to hear back from someone about. So you can, see, you can go to that, that list later and go, oh yeah, these are the six things that I really need to get answers back from. And then the system could potentially send out a nag or something to the other person saying, hey, Jason really needs to hear about this or whatever. Um, as we started using it, we didn't build the whole feature. We just built basically the way to flag something is waiting on. And it didn't have enough bite. There wasn't enough value in it without kind of completing the whole idea, which is like the, the additional system going out and, and helping you out by reminding the other person that you need something by a certain time. So since we didn't build the whole thing, we decided to hold it back. So we didn't build sort of a half-ass piece of software. So we held that back. There's a lot of things like that um, that, we, that we held back that weren't fully formed. But the idea is right, and it's there, and we'll get to it later when we can complete the whole thing and put the whole thing out. Um, but there's a number of little things like that. But waiting on is one of those, like, the first thing that comes to mind is something I still want today, but we didn't really make it useful enough to put it out there. And I'd rather kind of make a splash with it when it's actually really fully ready. But there's literally hundreds of things we didn't do um, that we're yeah. going to do in 2021 specifically is going to be pretty exciting for hey we've got a lot of things planned it's going to be pretty fun awesome did i read somewhere and correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was posted in a tiny seed slack by just a, a founder who's commenting that did you guys release numbers either like mrr that you launched to or number of customers or number of users was it like a hundred thousand users a month already or something yeah so when when, when hey first launched we signed up about 200,000 people in the first few weeks. Wow. So the, the interest was off the charts. We, didn't, we, we, we knew we had something really good here. Yeah. Um, we didn't know that it was really going to strike a nerve like it did and it, how it's continued to strike a nerve. Um, so we're really excited about that. We had about 200,000 in the first couple of weeks. A lot of this was driven by the Apple News and the publicity we got there. But a lot of it was driven by pure excitement over the product as well. Like people were so hungry, finally. To, to do something new with email and see email in a new light. And like when they, when they watched my demo, I'd give this 37 minute demo, which you can find on, on YouTube or if you Google like Jason Freed, Hey demo or Hey walkthrough, you'll find it. Um, when people watched that, I think it got a lot of people really excited um, about the 
product because I shared the philosophy behind the features and then walked people through the features at the same time. And I think a lot of product people really appreciated like, that type of work walkthrough. Um, and that got people fired up and people signed up about it and told about it and told everyone. And we had an invite process, the whole thing. So there's a lot of that. It's, of course, tapered off, as, as you'd expect. I mean, it's like, boom, launch, tapered off. Um, but, you know, we have tens of thousands of paying customers um, already. Um, conversion rate's been, been pr pretty wonderful. We're pretty happy with that. Um, it's been more than base, higher than Basecamp, which has been great. Um, and there's some things that a lot of people really, really want. Like, for example, custom domains, which has been was something that a lot of people have been asking for, which we don't offer yet. Everyone gets an at hey.com email address. Once we launch custom domains later this year, I think a lot more people are going to jump back in and check it out again for a second time. So we're very comfortable with, with how things are going and, and it feels really great. All right, awesome. Congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. So Deep asks, he says, I love your contrarian way of thinking. How do you suggest a new founder who wants to build a company with solid values and a solid culture that sticks. I think he's asking just that like Basecamp has such strong culture and values and you've obviously been deliberate about that. Like how can, how can another founder do that in their company? First off um, it's a mindset, right? So you have to believe that, that that's what you want. So don't follow us. You can't follow us or follow anyone because that's not, you're not being true to yourself. If, we, if you believe what we believe, then you're being true to yourself. But don't, don't look to us and go, I want to be like them. Figure out what matters to you. Um, and it's all about actions. So, for example, like, it's not about what you write down. It's not about you know, your, your handbook. It's really about the way I like to think about culture. Is it's a 50-day moving average. Hmm. What have you been doing as a company over the last 50 days? How do you treat people? What, what do you do when people are stressed out? How, how do you help people? What kind of cr criticism or critique do you give? What kind of feedback do you give? How do you share? How do you help people who are stuck? Like those are the things that make the culture and those things can change, which is good and bad. But what, how have the last 50 days been? That's kind of how I look at it. Because there's always these spikes or these moments. For example, we launched, hey, two weeks of incredible stress, terrible stress. I, I hated it. Um, it was wonderful, but I hated it. Uh, but it's unsustainable. And so we're past that now. So now we're settling back into how we want to be because um, we don't want to be working late at night and working on the weekends and being stressed out. So I think it's a matter of, of how you act. It's a matter of the last 50 days or so of how you act and understanding what's important to you. Now, real quick about this. Um, a lot of people like look at our, our benefits and they look at our handbook and they read that and go, I want to be like that. It took us 20 years to get to that. I mean, we didn't offer... Most of these, I mean, we've been layering in things that we've been learning. We've been layering in benefits. We've been layering in the ability to give people more vacation time or to give people more sabbatical time. Like we couldn't afford to do some of these things many, many years ago. And I, for people who are just starting out, a lot of people in your audience, this is probably the beginning is probably not the right time to be extremely generous on time off. And, and you know, like wait till you have some, 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 some cushion, some room in the bank, and you can layer things in as you go. So figure out what the most important things are. And in my opinion, the most important thing to begin with is free, which is make sure you give people more time to themselves during the day. Longer stretches of uninterrupted time to get their work done. That is the best benefit any company can give any employee. Um, and, and let them go home at the end of the day uh, fulfilled, satisfied, get a good night's sleep, come back, refresh the next morning. That's a wonderful benefit, and that doesn't cost you anything. Bravo, sir. All right, so a question from Justin Jackson whom you know, he says, as, hey, hate, I know him. as hate takes over the world, 
Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I was reading the wrong question. You joked saying building hay was the dumbest thing we've done. On a serious note, do you regret it at all? All the drama with Apple, the scale of the app, et cetera. I don't regret any of it. Um, I, I'm thrilled that we built Hay. Hay's going to make Basecamp better. Hay's going to make Hay better. Basecamp's going to make Hay better. I like this thing where we can go back and forth now. One of the things we've learned about launching something new is that you launch something new, and, you, and that's the only time you can really explore really new ideas. And those new ideas, you know, of course, affect the, the new product you're building, but they also affect the other things that you have. So we're, we've already begun work on Basecamp 4, which is going to be out next year. And a lot of those ideas came from the things we developed when we built Hay. So Hay's going to benefit everything. Um, I don't regret the, the Apple uh, fight at all. I, I think it was absolutely the right thing to do, and we're, we're continuing to do so. Um, we're, we're supporting a whole wide variety of, um, of, of efforts and initiatives to, to, to you know, bring this to, to the government's you know, awareness, and, and you know, both in, in, the, in the U.S. and the EU, um, standing with other companies that are fighting and, and other developers that are fighting, because this is not something you just do and, and walk away from. Like, Apple's going to be relentless about this, and you've got to continue to stand up for, for what you believe to be right. So, no, I don't regret it. I, that said, it was a horrible, it was the most stressful time we've ever had in 20 years. Those two weeks were, were mm -hmm. terrible. Um, again, like exciting and hugely rewarding, but terrible mentally, physically. We aged, we aged, we didn't feel good. People were sick. It wasn't, it wasn't a good time. Um, so, um, what I would regret is if we stayed at that pace past the first couple weeks of launch, that would have been, a, that would not be worth, that would not have been worth it. But the fact that we've been able to, to kind of settle back into our normal cadence, we hired like five customer service people um, really quickly. That really helped a lot to bring the, we were getting about 2000 emails a day um, when we launched Hey. So like it, we just weren't ready for any of those things. So that was a mess, but we, we, we remedied that. And now we're comfortable again. But if we were not comfortable and had to live at that pace, I would have regretted it, yes. Yep. All right. This is an interesting question. I actually get this one now and again, and I sometimes struggle to answer it. So I'm, uh, I'm curious how you take it. So the question is from Tom Biskin, and he says, if you didn't have your brand and your resources, how would you start a company today? Would addressing something as big as email be possible without that kind of leverage? Um. It's a great question. I would launch the company the same way we launched Basecamp when we had no branding and no awareness, which is slowly, carefully, with no expectations. Um, we were a web design firm when we, when we started. We launched this Basecamp thing. We built it for ourselves. We did it on the side. We put it out there. And we waited a while to see if it was going to work. It turns out it worked really well. And then we were able to stop doing the other thing that we were doing. Um, so I, so, so they're like, I would do the same thing. I would, I would always try to have, I, I wouldn't, I don't like putting myself at risk. I like taking a risk, but I don't like putting myself at risk. So, um, in the case of when we launched Basecamp, no one really knew who we were. We had a little bit of a following, but like, you know, a thousand people reading our blog, it was not very big compared to today. A lot of people have a lot larger followings today when they launched than we did when we launched. Um, it's much harder to reach people back then everything, but we had a, we had a functional business of some sort that was going to could fund our endeavors into something else and only when that something else did better than the other thing that we stopped doing the other thing and started focusing 100% on base camp so I would do it the same way and keep your cost again cost low small team no rent one or two or three people to start struggle through that 
um, before you you make it hard on yourself by it's, it seems like you'd make it easier on yourself by raising money or hiring more people, but you're actually in some ways making it a lot harder on yourself. So I'd start as, as small as you can and and um, and and, uh, and keep that you know maybe a little bit of money here and there, right? But not a big amount of money, which forces all sorts of unreasonable expectations on you. As far as tackling email. Um, no, we couldn't. We could not have. Other people might be able to. We could not have tackled email in the way that we chose to do it. Um, had we not had um, probably a big brand behind us to launch, um, it was. It took us two years to build Hay, and the expertise that we needed, we didn't. We would not have had had we just started today. It took us twenty years to understand how to do this, how to deal with the loads we were gonna we were gonna have, how to deal with the technology that we needed to build. Um, all the infrastructure email is incredibly complicated. It would not be the first thing I would ever choose to pick off. Um, yep. So we could not have done it. Um, but that wasn't about the brand necessarily, although it helped to launch. But it was more about the understanding and the learning and the just the skills and experience that we needed to build over the last 20 years to be able to feel confident enough to even take this challenge on. Yep. Excellent. So I think we have time for one or maybe two more questions. Uh, and we have several pouring in. So some really good. I'm, I'm picking the best off the top. This is a really interesting one, and it's actually one that I've thought about, and I was going to ask you on my own, so, so I like it. It's from Tim Van de Castile, and he says, you, meaning Basecamp, decided for a while to only have one product because you, you know, used to have several products, as you said. Uh, yeah, I won't name them, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was higher campfire, and we all, ta-da, list and all this stuff. You actually decided for a while to only have one product, stopping actively developing the other products and selling them off. What made you to decide that you still wanted or you wanted to go back to being a multi-product so this is sort of an interesting one, and I'll, I'll try to make it fairly brief because I know we don't have a lot of time. We didn't set out to build another product, actually, when we built Hay. We set out to build a new version of High Rise. So we set out to build High Rise 2, like we built Basecamp 2, and now we're in Basecamp 3, and we're building Basecamp 4. But we're going to go back and build High Rise 2. As we were building High Rise 2, we recognized that um, there was something else going on here that we were building, that we wanted this thing that we were making for all of our communication, not just business communication, but personal, family, all these things. And so eventually it splintered off into its own thing. But I think we've, what we learned about well, what's good about having two things versus one thing is, again, that you get to start from scratch again more frequently. Um, so we're building, you know, we just built Hay. Now we're doing Hay for work. Next year we're going to do Basecamp 4. We're going to learn some stuff. We're going to pull some stuff from Hay into Basecamp 4. When we build Basecamp 4, we'll learn some new things that we'll bring into Hay. So... I think this idea, what we're calling it, is like TikTok development, back and forth, back and forth between two products, is actually a really fresh and, and healthy thing to do. I think, though, it wouldn't work for us if we had three or four or five. So I think two is what we feel right now is probably going to be our sweet spot. It's going to be different for every company. If you have hundreds of employees, you can do more things. We have 56, 57, 58 employees. At our size, at our scale, we feel like two is right. And here's one other reason why we think two is right. Basecamp's product cycle, so we do basically do a new version of Basecamp every four to five years. Whole new version from scratch, essentially. And the, when we launch that new version, we're all in on it. But then over the next number of years, we're basically just making marginal improvements around the edges. That's te te like technically what happens to mature products. You're not like reinventing the product every year. Like you, you just kind of can't reinvent it every year. So what ends up happening is you built up this, all these skills and all these people who are really wonderful at making products. And then we're putting all those skills and just making marginal improvements around the edges. And it's not a really efficient way to run a company, actually, with all that 
talent, just tweaking, which is what ends up happening with mature products. So by jumping into a new thing, we get to use all that energy and all that talent on something brand new from scratch, work on that for a while, and then jump back on the other thing and make a whole new version of that. And so we're going to be making new versions of things more frequently in a staggered way, I think, which is going to just be a healthier perspective for us. So that's, that's, I mean, in a nutshell, that's why we decided to do it. It kind of was an accident. Then we kind of leaned into it. And now we think it's kind of probably going to be the right thing to do. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Sir, if you, we're over time, but do you have quest, time for one more question? Of course, yeah, because I've gone long on these answers. No, no, this is great. This is perfect. Um, there's a, I, I like this question. Uh, so it's from Johnny Tong, and he says, how does Basecamp manage employee career progression when it favors a low headcount slash flat structure? Because, you know, a lot of people want to progress and move up the chain, and in a larger org, right, that, that's easier to do. So I, I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, it's a really wonderful question. Um, and we've struggled with this over the years. Um, what we basically do is we don't really have a managerial track. So people, in most companies, people move up, right? Um, at Basecamp, you, you move sideways by expanding your, your ability. So for example, a lot of our designers get better by learning programming as well. So they're not just designers, but they, they do all their CSS themselves. They do all the visual design. They do a lot of Rails now. They do a lot of JavaScript now. So, so they sort of expand outward. And that's typically how most people progress. And then they move up in the organization on our pay scale because they have more skills and they take more responsibility. We do have team leads. So there are some team leads, but they're pretty well established, people who've been here for a long time. So it's not, a very, it's not like a, a high churn position. So those positions pretty much sit there. Um, but, but people sort of expand their skill set and then move up in our pay tier. So that's something that's, that's kind of unusual, actually, at companies because most people actually they get narrower and narrower in a sense. They, they move into a managerial track where they actually lose a lot of the skills that they had and, and they atrophy like me. I've, I've atrophied. Like I, I'm, I'm not as good anymore as getting in the HTML and CSS like I used to. Like I, I'm not just not that good at that anymore because I've been focusing on other things. And this happens to a lot of people as they move up through management. But at Basecamp, well, we want people to get better at their craft. And so, you know, if you could think of a, someone who's, who's good with woodworking, loves woodworking, they might also expand into other materials. They might explore, you know, uh, metal. They might explore ceramics. They might explore other things. They're still using the same skills, but in, in different mediums. And I think that's the idea here at Basecamp is that you might be a great designer, but you might want to pick up some programming or you might want to be a better writer. And that's how people expand. And that's how people get paid more and move up the scale uh, at our company. And then there are some people, always some people who just simply do want to run teams or manage people. And if there's not a position here, it's totally fair for them to say, you know, Basecamp doesn't have what, 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 what I want. Um, and I'm going to move on to go find a place that does that. And we would gladly help them. We'd hate to lose them. But we understand that, like, it's, no, it's not good for us to keep anyone who would want to do something else. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna help them find something somewhere else that would satisfy that. We've had a number of people who either left to manage bigger teams or left to start their own businesses. Um, and, uh, that's great. We're, we're, you know, happy for them and, and want to support them as well. Sure. And I bet they're set up well to do it because with Basecamp on your resume, you can get hired by most of the people that I know. So yeah, Jason Freed. It's helpful. Such a, such a gentleman. Thank you for taking your time to, you know, to give back to founders. Um, I've been, I mean, this is the kind of stuff where if I say it one-on-one, -on -one, it sounds awkward, but like, I've been an admirer of yours for at least 14 years. I've read all your books and, and I just love, I love having conversations with you because you're, you're always just dropping knowledge and giving back to the founders. So thanks so much for, you know, sharing the stage with me again.
Well, thanks, Rob. This was great. And I'm happy to, by the way, answer additional questions if people have them. Um, you can email me at jason at hey.com, H-E-Y, or on Twitter, Jason Freed, F-R-I-E-D. Um, and I'll try to uh, answer there as well. Awesome. Thanks again, Jason. Catch you next Thank time. Thank you. Thanks again to Jason for being part of MicroConf yet again and for all of Basecamp and Hayes' support of MicroConf, of the ecosystem of TinySeed. It's just really appreciated, and I love to see founders like them who've had amazing success giving back to our community and helping that next generation of founders get started. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll be back in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.